Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon the generous financial contributions of our listeners in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. Uh, would you please uh, support Fighting for the Faith financially by joining our crew or sending in a donation to uh, support us financially? You can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on the Join Our Crew button. That's a mere $6.95 a month. Or if you'd like to make a flat contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and sending it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Wednesday, December 16th, 2009. This is going to be a different kind of program. What do you do when it seems like the forces of darkness are having a heyday? Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro, and I'm your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which is to help you to think biblically, to help you to think critically, and to compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Ultimately here, the axe I'm grinding is the good news of Jesus Christ and Him crucified for your sins. That's right. You are a sinner in need of a savior. And ultimately, what I go after are things that obscure and get in the way of the gospel. And so uh, it's not fun work. It has to be done. And Christ and sound biblical doctrine have to be exalted. And so if you've listened to this program for any length of time, you know that uh, defending the truth is the thing for which I have a passion. And because I'm a sinful human being, it doesn't mean that I'm exempt from having my words compared to the Word of God. Just something I want to point out to you. All right, today's program is, uh, I, for lack of a better way of putting it, today's program is all about when life throws you bad news. This program is dedicated, well, at least the first hour of it, is really dedicated to when things are going terribly wrong. You're being persecuted for your faith, or in the case of Matt Chandler, if you haven't heard, Matt Chandler, a, a gentleman whom I have quite a bit of respect for, um, you know, he recently, uh, in fact, right after Thanksgiving, he had a seizure, he went in for, uh, you know, a scan, and it showed that he had a tumor in his brain. They they tried to remove the tumor. Uh, however, it turned out that the tumor itself was malignant cancer, and it was not encapsulated, which means that it was wrapping around different you know blood vessels and brain matter and things like that. And they were not able to remove the whole thing. And so he still has a um, uh, quite a bit of uh, tumor still left in his brain. And and it's cancerous to boot. And so 
uh, you know, that's something we'll be talking about here today. And uh, as well as uh, those those Christian brothers and sister sisters of ours who are um, who are experiencing persecution for their faith. And so the first hour of today's program is, uh, you know, really in looking and reflecting on these stories. Why? Because Jesus Christ, contrary to what Joel Osteen may have uh, may be telling you, Jesus Christ is the God who gets us through problems and doesn't pro- uh, promise that uh, we are going to have our best life now. In fact, uh, if you understand eternity and being with Christ, the whole idea here is, you know, Paul, I think it was in the book of Philippians, you know, he talks about for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. You know, how is it possible that a Christian pastor can make the claim that you can have your best life now when this life does not include a face-to-face relationship with our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. How can you claim that you're having your best life now when this life is full of suffering, pain, and death? How can you say that, that you can have your best life now when this life also includes persecution and suffering for proclaiming Jesus Christ as the one true God and salvation only in him. How can it be your best life now when on this side of the resurrection you still have to deal with sin, death, the devil, sin in your own life, the consequences of that sin, the daily battling of that sin, and literally living your Christian life in daily repentance, taking up your cross daily. That means considering yourself to be a dead man walking and following Christ. That doesn't sound like the Bible really is all about teaching you how to have your best life now. So today's program will be focusing in on realistically and biblically looking at what happens when you're not having your best life now. The good news is that our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will pull us through the valley of the shadow of death. And he's there waiting for us on the other side. And we get to see him face to face once we're done with our sojourn, done with our tour of duty. So that's going to be the focus of our program today. And so uh, with that, uh, we're going to start off by giving an update on uh, Pastor Matt Chandler. Now, we in the past, I've played a couple of things that uh, Pastor Chandler has uh, said, and uh, he's spoken at uh, a couple of uh, John Piper's events, the, the Desiring God guys. And uh, Matt Chandler, he is somebody who has actually built um, a, a very large and growing church. However, when you look at his sermons and you look at what it is that he's focusing in on, he didn't do he didn't build a church by uh, scratching itching ears. 
So he's kind of the exception among the church planters and the church growth guys. Um, I, I don't even know if it's right to put him in the same category as the church growth guys. This guy preaches the gospel. And uh, what I'm going to do here is uh, remind you of, uh, of, of that by playing for you a couple of Matt Chandler sound bites. And here's Matt Chandler really taking a shot at uh, a lot of the seeker-driven guys and the banal, uh, irrelevant, silly myths that they preach Sunday after Sunday. And it's impassioned, it's well-stated, and it comes back to Christ. Here's uh, Matt Chandler. Avoid silly myths, but train your people in godliness. Now, the reason I say this is complex is because you can take one idea and teach it in such a way that's irreverent and silly, or take one idea and teach it in such a way that leads to godliness. Let me give you an example. So we're in a recession. All right, I think they've officially declared that. And, and so he, here's the nightmare that's Dallas, okay? All over Dallas, creative teams get together and they go, we're going to, you know, we've got ourselves a recession here. We want to talk about uh, debt. We're going to teach our people about debt. And so we've entitled the series, Debt is Dumb. All right? So here's what I need. Worship guy, go write me a song on Debt is Dumb. All right? Communication team, I need you to draw up something that after they leave here, they'll continually remember Debt is Dumb. I've written a sermon. Here's why Debt is Dumb. Debt is Dumb because it puts stress on your marriage. Debt is dumb because it puts stress on your happiness. And debt is dumb because if you get into too much of it, somebody's going to come take your car and house, then you'll be homeless. Break. And everybody goes. Then on Sunday morning, somebody walks up on stage and, and they lead in the song, all right? If you have $4 and you spent 7 that's dumb. <laughs> all right, they, they lead their song. And, and then the pastor walks up on stage and he gets behind, probably not a pulpit, probably a um, stool, and, and says, I'm not capping anybody, I'm just saying, that's, that's very popular. And, and they do the sermon. Hey, hey guys, if, l- listen, here's the problem with debt. When you got a lot of debt, you're not happy. Are you guys happy? Of course you're not happy. You know why you're not happy? Because you have debt. Point, point two is your marriage is difficult. Let me tell you why your marriage is difficult. Marriage is difficult because you got debt. And when you got debt, it brings all this pressure into your marriage. And then, that, then that's what happens. It's bad. And then, and then listen, do you want to be homeless? I don't think you want to be homeless. Do you want to be homeless? Do you want, do you want your mom to drive you around? You're 30 years old, for goodness sake. Is that what you want? Of course you don't. See how, how much God loves you? He's telling you, debt is dumb. Now, on your way out tonight, we have a bumper sticker that says, Debt is dumb. And we have little bracelets so that all week long, you might be reminded that debt is dumb. And our ministry, this community, is going to be to let them know that debt is dumb. Father, we're going to do Bleaker's Debt is Dumb song one more time. Stand with me, all right? If you have $4 and seven, debt is dumb. And then you dismiss. Well, that's Christless expounding on nothing. So, okay, now let's see. I'm not against topical preaching as long as it's done exegetically. (laughs) I'm saying that you have an opportunity to take something. Well, how about this? How about we do this? 
How about we stand in our pulpits and say, by the cross of Christ socially, I have been set free from the sin of arrogant hierarchy seeking and saved to humility and seeking the lower seat. That in Christ and his cross, materially, I have been set free from grasping and finding my identity in things and saved to using God's creation properly and giving away money and things to advance his kingdom further. Okay, you see what happened there? One is training in godliness. The other is irreverent, silly myths. Paul's pleading with Timothy, train your people in godliness, which means the gospel is ever present. Good doctrine is ever present. It reveals the former errors. Well said. So today on the uh, Village Church uh, website, Village Church is the uh, church where Matt Chandler is the pastor. It says, Dear Church, in the first chapter of Philippians, the Apostle Paul writes that whatever imprisonments, beatings, or trials he may have suffered, they all serve to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. We implore you to keep the gospel of Christ as the main focus as we walk with Matt and Lauren through this trial. On Tuesday, Dr. Barnett informed Matt and Lauren that the findings of the pathology report revealed a malignant brain tumor that was not encapsulated. The surgery to remove the tumor, the doctor said, was an extremely positive first step. However, because of the nature of the tumor, he was not able to remove all of it. Matt, who is being released from the hospital today, is meeting with a neuro-oncologist this week to outline the next steps of his recovery process. There is a range of treatment possibilities, but the exact course of action has not yet been determined. He will continue outpatient rehab. The Lord is calling Matt and Lauren and the village church body to endure this trial. It will be a challenge, a challenging road for Matt and his family and our church body. The gospel is our hope, and the Lord is our strength. Matt and Lauren continue to find solace and hope in Christ. They weep facing this trial, but not as those without hope and perspective. The gospel clarifies their suffering and promises more of Christ through it all. So there you have it, news of Matt Chandler. And let me read the passage of Philippians that he's referring to. In context, Philippians chapter 3, verses starting at verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others do from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to inflict me to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. And yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die 
is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Jesus Christ because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, so that whether I come to see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that salvation from God. For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. See, the scripture teaches us to live as Christ and to die as gain. Matt Chandler doesn't know whether he will be able to remain alive and continue pastoring the flock that God has given him the privilege to pastor uh, these past few years. And in the midst of his trial, in the midst of this very frightening bad news, the focus of the communication to the members of his church, but not only his church, because we are the church of Christ, we are the body of Christ together, the message to all of us who are watching and praying for Matt and his family and for the church, the, pa- the flock that he pastors, the focus is on Christ and the gospel. And so somehow, even through this terrible good news, Christ will be glorified and exalted. And for that, we, we are thankful. Let me play another one of uh, my absolute favorite Matt Chandler sound bites. This one's entitled Jesus Wants the Rose. But it, it didn't take long um, before my passion for the gospel and, and my passion to see lost men and women saved um, s- started to rub against or collide with the church. And, and so it wasn't very long and, and I, I won't, I, I can give you dozens and dozens of stories, but, but really one that kind of broke the camel's back where I decided if I was going to do this, I wasn't going to do it as a churchman because the church more often than not was an enemy of conversion and not its friend. I'll give you an example. Um, this turn in me, this break in me happened that God has been just disciplining me on ever since. Uh, occurred my freshman year of college when um, I randomly sat next to a, I'm a freshman in college, I'm sitting next to a 26-year-old single mother who's coming back to school to try to get a degree, never been to church, didn't know much about Jesus, didn't know, and so we began this ongoing dialogue uh, about the grace and mercy of Christ in the cross. And so um, me and some of my crew go over to her house and babysit her daughter. She's actually in an extramarital affair at the time with a married man. And, and so we talked through that, the wisdom in that. Um, th- th- this is 
the relationship we had just kind of serving her and trying to explain to her spiritual things. A friend of mine was playing at a church in the area. And, and so I asked her to come. He was a musician. Um, and so I said, Hey, a good friend of mine's in a band. He's playing. Um, what, why don't you come? Why don't you come hear him? And, and so she agreed. She thought it would be a concert. I knew better. It was shady. It was excellent. And, um, she came with me and, and we listened to Robbie play and, and he was tremendous, just a real anointed guy. And then the, the minister got up and he said, today I want to talk to you about sex. And so I immediately go, uh oh, this could be a problem. And, and he took a red rose and he smelled it and he showed how pretty it was. And then he threw it out into the crowd. He goes, everybody needs to smell this. There's about a thousand of us there, almost all of us college and high school. Smell the rose. I want you to smell it. I want you to touch it. I want you to see the texture in it. Do it. Do it. And I'm going to teach. And, and then he began what honestly, up until this day, and this might have to do with my heart. I don't, I'm still wrestling. Um, was one of the worst, most horrific handlings of what sex is and what it isn't that I ever sat through. It, it was fear mongering at, at its best. It was, um, you don't want syphilis, do you? And everybody's smiling and having a good time until there's herpes on your lip and you, right? And so I'm just thinking with Kim beside me, what are you doing? What are you doing? And, and then as it wraps up, he goes, where's my, where's my rose? Where, where, where is it? Where's, where's my rose? And you know, some kid came up, the rose is just completely jacked up. It's broken. The things are off. The pedals are broke. And, and he lifts it up in his big crescendo. I mean, his point is to hold up that rose and go, now who would want this? Who would want this rose? And I remember feeling anger like real legitimate i want to hurt him anger and it was all i could do not to scream out jesus wants the rose that's the point of the gospel that jesus wants the rose that he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ won. You're not even teaching the basics of our faith. Powerful. <laughs> I just... <sighs> I do not want to lose Matt Chandler. And yet I am completely powerless to change his situation. And it's in times like this when you realize that God is sovereign and he is in control. And that for whatever time Matt has had and maybe still has, we are thankful that he's run his course in such a way that he has proclaimed Christ and him crucified and has so boldly stood up for the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Christ for sinners. And standing up for sound biblical doctrine and the gospel, our prayers go out to him. Moving along on today's interesting edition of Fighting for the Faith, headline uh, from the um, Christian Post uh, reads, UK court rules against Christian who refused to conduct gay ceremony. This is by Ethan Cole of the uh, Christian Post. A London court of appeals ruled Tuesday against a Christian registrar who refused to conduct a same-sex civil union ceremony because it, vi it violated her religious beliefs. A London court of appeals ruled Tuesday against a Christian registrar 
Lillian Liddell, claimed that she suffered discrimination, including being ridiculed and bullied while working for the uh, Eastlington uh, City Council. Uh, Liddell had uh, worked for the uh, council for nearly 16 years, but did not experience discrimination until after she refused to perform the Gay Civil Union. Ladeel's uh, attorney said that she never wanted to undermine the rights of members of the lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender community, but human rights laws don't only protect members of the LGBT community, but also uh, people's right to hold views about marriage. Ladeel said she was essentially forced to choose between her religious faith and her $50,000 a year job. The decision of the Court of Appeal is another setback for Bible-believing Christians, said Andrea Minicello, uh, Williams, director of, UK, of the UK-based uh, Christian Concern for Our Nation, in a statement, quote, If this kind of legal precedent is followed, it will prove increasingly difficult for Christians to participate fully in public life without contravening their conscience. Initially, the employment tribunal had ruled in favor of Ladeel, after the first court hearing in uh, July of 2008, the tribunal found that the council fa- failed to respect its employees' rights to her Christian beliefs. Moreover, the tribunal said that the council could have other registrars who don't hold the same beliefs to provide first-class service to the same-sex couples without Ladeel's involvement. The council placed a greater value on the rights of the lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transsexual uh, community uh, then it placed on the rights of Ms. Ladeel as one holding an Orthodox Christian belief, the tribunal said. But a December 2008 ruling by the Employment Appeal Tribunal overturned the initial decision, stating that the council had the right to require all its registrars to conduct all the services. On Tuesday, the Court of Appeals affirmed the appeals tribunal, uh, the appeal tribunal's decision. Quote, our public services are increasingly using equality and diversity policies to leave Christians sidelined and punished, Williams said. In effect, this amounts to a religious bar to office. UK Christians have recently voiced alarm over the encroachment of their religious liberty in in the name of equality. In November, a court ruled against a Christian marriage counselor who refused to give same-sex therapy to a gay couple. Counselor Gary McFarland said that he believes the Bible teaches same-sex uh, practice is immoral and could not personally endorse homosexual relationships. He did not object to other counselors giving such couples advice. However, his employer eventually fired him in early 2008 because of his religious views on homosexuality and his refusal to provide services to same-sex couples. This week, the Christian Institute released a new report that asserts that Christians are being marginalized by equality and diversity laws, quote, which leave them the first to be punished, and the last to be protected. The report noted that the growing sense of intolerance felt by Christians in the United, in the United Kingdom, quote, Christians wonder why they're not being treated equally and why diversity does not include them, said Mike Judge, the head of the communications at the Christian Institute. Quote, this has led to a growing feeling that equality and diversity is code for marginalizing Christian beliefs. Even the Archbishop of Canterbury, Dr. Rowan Williams, has accused UK lawmakers of treating Christians like oddballs. The Anglican leader also accused the government of treating religious groups as slightly fishy interest groups and said that he would be very glad if they spoke up for the faith uh, this Christmas. Williams made the comment in a recent interview in The Telegraph. Matthew chapter 5. 
verses 10 through 11, Jesus speaking. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Christmas season is upon us. It's time for parties and gifts and all that kind of stuff. Do you have a Christmas party or potluck that you need to plan for? Or maybe you enjoy giving food gifts for Christmas. Either way, Pirate Christian Radio's featured holiday sponsor, the Wisconsin Cheese Man, has a huge variety of gourmet cheeses, sausages, cakes, and cookies. Oh, I'm getting hungry just thinking about it. Just for you. They have gifts such as their cheese and sausage combo pack or their cheese great gift basket or my personal favorite, the Big Nibbler. Whatever your holiday taste might be, the Wisconsin Cheese Man has exactly what you're looking for. So if you would like to purchase something from the Wisconsin Cheese Man, visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheese. Click on the banner provided there, and you will be taken to the promised land of gourmet cheeses. <laughs> and just remember, a portion of everything you purchase from the Wisconsin Cheese Man, after you've clicked on that link, goes to support Pirate Christian Radio. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheese today. We're back. Warning. If you think Christianity is all about having your best life now, we're going to tell you the truth here at Fighting for the Faith. 
Need to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio, and the only way we are able to continue bringing this radio outreach to you is through your generous gifts and financial contributions. You can support Fighting for the Faith a few ways, and right now we are still uh, about 700 people away from reaching our goal of 1,000 listeners who've joined the Fighting for the Faith Pirate Christian Radio crew. It is a mere $6.95 a month. That is not a lot of money to uh, sacrifice on your part. And yet that $6.95 makes it possible for us to bring this important radio outreach to you as well as to other people. If you haven't already joined the crew, it's time for you to do so. You can do so by visiting fightingforthefaith.com. Click on Join Our Crew. And uh, pay close attention because once you've uh, signed up for the crew, there's a screen there. Once it's finalized, there's a button that uh, gives you information. Click on it. That, click on that button that gives you information for accessing the Fighting for the Faith Pirate Christian Radio Cove. That is our secret treasure trove of growing resources designed to help you to go deeper in the uh, Christian faith and sound biblical theology and the gospel. So I uh, want to make sure that you know that. Of course, if you would like to uh, contribute an amount higher than that or above and beyond that, you can do so by clicking our Donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and sending it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. From the Christian Post, the headline reads, U.S. Coptic Christians to Rally Against Persecution in Egypt. Coptic Christians are planning to hold rallies in at least four U.S. cities uh, to express the resentment and rejection of the persecution that fellow believers are facing in Egypt. The rallies organized by members of the Free Copts will be held in Chicago, Los Angeles, New York, and Washington at a time when Christians in Egypt are reportedly facing killings, destruction, and looting of their property, deportation from their homes, and the forced Islamization of their minor daughters. They also come as Coptic Christians increasingly accuse the Egyptian state security and other security authorities of having a hand in all crimes taking place against the Christians in Egypt. Quote, the Egyptian government facilitates attacks against Coptic Christians directly by destroying church properties, unlawfully detaining, raping, and torturing converts to Christianity, and failing to prosecute the Islamic extremists who attack Coptic Christians, claim organizers of the rally uh, in front of the United Nations building in New York. Citing the U.S. State Department's 2009 report on religious freedom, the organization, the organizers say that the Egyptian government has engaged in acts which generally obviate the prosecution of perpetrators of crimes against uh, Coptic Christians and precluded their recourse to the judicial system. Furthermore, they added that there is a failure to investigate and prosecute perpetrators. State security and police forces reportedly instigated a sectarian clash in the government and again failed to prosecute perpetrators of crimes against Coptic Christians, they noted. Last month, Hundreds of angry Muslims and by some accounts thousands attacked Coptic Christians in southern in this in a southern Egyptian town over an allegation that a Christian man kidnapped and raped a Muslim girl. The mob looted and burned at least 65 Christian owned stores in Farshut, about 300 miles south of Cairo, causing an estimated 6 million Egyptian pounds, that's over 1 million U.S. dollars in damage, according to the Coptic American Friendship Association. 
Witnesses also reported that the mob made wooden crosses and burned them on the streets. Following the incident, authorities reportedly put pressure on the Coptic church in Nag Hammadi, which is under the same uh, government as Farshut, to tell the victims to accept extrajudicial reconciliation and reopen their businesses without compensation. Police in Farshut also reportedly refused to issue police reports to victims, forcing them to travel 37 miles away to make a report to the Attorney General in Kanaa, the capital of the government. The Christian community in Farshut, however, said that they will not be coerced into overlooking the mass riot and that they would unite to make authorities recognize what happened and punish perpetrators. Quote, there will be no reconciliation before full financial compensation has been paid to the Coptic victims and the criminals are brought to justice so that safety and security can be restored to the district, said Bishop Criolis of the Nagamadi Diocese, according to the Assyrian International News Agency. In light of the recent incidents and others like it, Coptic Christians in the United States are planning to let their voices be heard Monday, join, Monday joining in rallies and marches across America. In New York, demonstrators plan to gather in front of the Egyptian mission in the United Nations building and march toward the United Nations, where they expect to conclude the demonstration around 4 p.m. The rally in Chicago, meanwhile, is scheduled to start at noon in front of the Egyptian consulate in Chicago. Despite their sizable number in Egypt, the Christian community in Egypt, known as Coptics, are marginalized in society and reportedly suffer from violent forms of abuse. They also lack fair representation in the government, leading to further abuse of the minority group. According to Egyptians' constitution, Islam is the religion of the state and the country's principal source of legislation. From Acts chapter 5, we read, And when they had brought them and set them before the council... The high priest questioned Peter, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, and yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand, as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, Take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Thutius rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone, for if this plan is this or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then they let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus. 
as the Christ. From the Christian Post, Somali Christian flees refugee camp under death threat. Nairobi, Kenya, Somali Christian Mohammed Muradi Saidi last month fled a refugee camp near Kenya's border with Sudan after Muslims threatened to kill him. For Saidi, a father of four, and the recent relocation of the 13,000 refugees from the Da'ab refugee camp near the Somali border to the Kakuma camp, where he had lived since 2002, brought its own nightmare. The arrival of Muslims from Somalia's lower Juba region who knew of his father's Christian activities in his home village. After Somalis four times threw stones at Saidi's Iron Sheet home in Kakuma refugee camp, once in mid-October and again on November 17th, 21st, and 22nd, word spread that they intended to kill him. Caseworkers for a Lutheran World Federation service group confirmed the death threat. Quote, I know the attackers are the Muslims who forced us to leave Somalia in 2002, Saidi told Compass in Nairobi, adding that he was unable to bring his family with him when he fled on, that, on November 23rd. They're not safe, and that is why we should be out of Kakuma as soon as possible. Saidi has reported the attacks of, to the Lutheran uh, World Federation Service Group as well as to the police at Kakuma. Caseworkers for the LWF Service Group confirmed that the stoning of his home had escalated to the threat of him being assassinated. Saidi has security-related issues fueled by the new refugees from Da'ab, said uh, one of the LWF uh, Service Group workers who requested anonymity for security reasons. Uh, last month, I did some investigation and found out the Saidi's life is threatened. One of the occasions in which his house was stoned as his family slept, Saidi turned on a flashlight and the neighbors rose up, scaring off the assailants. He and his family have enjoyed some tranquility since fleeing raging conflict in Somalia, but that ceased with the transference of the Somali Muslims from uh, da Da'ab refugee camp to Kakuma in August. The United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees relocated the refugees to ease congestion, uh, congestion in the crowded Da'ab camps of Ifo. Hagadera, Daghali were close to uh, 300,000 Somalis had arrived to sites designed to house only 90,000 refugees. Saidi's uh, late father had coordinated activities for a Christian charity in Lower Juba. Since the death of his father in 2005, Saidi had been working as a translator for non-governmental organizations. As a translator, he became known to the newly arrived Somalis from Da'ab. Because of the danger, Saidi has been forced to abandon his job for fear of exposing himself to other Muslims who might know of his father. He is the sole supporter of his family, including his 55-year-old mother, wife, and four children. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. From the Christian Post, Eretria arrests 30 evangelical Christian women. The Eritrean government arrested 30 elderly Christian women this past weekend, a Christian persecution watchdog reported Monday. 
Security forces on December 5th rounded up a group of mostly elderly women praying together at a house and took them to a police station in Asmara, the capital city, according to International Christian Concern. The women are mostly members of the Faith Mission Church, an evangelical church with a Methodist background. The church has an over 50-year history in Eritrea, but became a target of government crackdowns after a law requiring churches to register with officials was adopted in 2002. It is impossible for the Faith Mission Church to register, however, because the government only allows three Christian denominations to legally exist, the Eritrean Orthodox Church, the Roman Catholic Church, and the Lutheran Evangelical Church of Eritrea. Quote, we condemn the arrest of the 30 women by Eritrean officials, said ICC's regional manager for Africa and South Asia, Jonathan Rocco, in a statement. We urge officials of Eritrea to release the detainees and all the imprisoned Christians in the country. We call upon Eritrea to stop violating the freedom of religion of its people. In recent years, the Eritrean government has cracked down on registered churches. The head of the Eritrean Orthodox Church has been under a house arrest for years, and there have been reports of raids on Christian, func- Christian functions such as weddings. Reports have also indicated that the torturing of Christians in prison is common. Christians are, rocked, uh, are locked in outdoor metal shipping containers and have to endure unbearable heat, disease, and mental distress. The containers are said to only be about 20 feet long, and many of them contain 15 to 20 people. Earlier this year, Compass News Direct reported that there have been several known cases of Christians dying at an Eritrean military camp. Among the latest deaths is that of Yamani Kahasa, um, 43, who died on July 23rd at Matiri Military Confinement Center in northeastern Eritrea. He reportedly was tortured and suffered from a severe case of malaria that eventually led to his death. Quote, he was allegedly further weakened by continuous physical torture and solitary confinement in an underground cell the two weeks prior to his death for his refusal to sign a recantation form, said Open Doors, whose, resources, whose sources informed the ministry of, a, of his death. Quote, it's not clear what the contents of the recantation form were, but most Christians interpret the signing of such a form as a denouncement of their faith in Christ. Also in the month of July, UK-based Release International ran a story about an Eritrean Christian who was imprisoned for five months. Quote, my hair and nails were long. My body color was yellow, said former prisoner Hazikius about his condition after he was released from his underground cell, according to the July edition of Release magazine. Hazikius, whose real name is not used for security reasons, also said he looked like another creature. Another former prisoner, identified as a say by the magazine, was detained at a prison in Asmara for 11 months. Life in the prison, he explained, was simply like living in an open toilet. There are more than 2,800 Christians who are imprisoned because of their Christian faith in Eritrea, according to Open Doors. Eritrea is located in northeast Africa. The story was by Ethan Cole. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 through 38. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, 
sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. From the Telegraph in the UK. Vicar hounded from home by parishioners. A vicar claims he has been forced to leave the Church of England after a four-year campaign of abuse and intimidation from parishioners. The Reverend Mark Sharp said he had been subject to verbal abuse, had his tires slashed, phone line cut, his heating tank regularly drained of oil, and his pet dog poisoned. He is now retired from the church in a bid to mend his shattered health. He has, logged, he has lodged a, co- a claim for constructive dismissal against the church, who he said had washed their hands of the case and failed to protect him. Mr. Sharp said the abuse started after he tried to blow the whistle on alleged maladministration or misadministration at the Diocese of Worcester. He took the ministry covering six rural Worcestershire parishes in 2005, but said he immediately began uncovering problems. Examples he cited included capital projects allegedly having not been properly put out for tender and allegedly unconstitutional church committees. Mr. Sharp, his wife, Sarah, 43, and their four children will leave their rectory in Broad Heath, Warks today, to move into rented accommodations elsewhere in the country. He said, quote, I feel like I've been victimized and penalized. My career has been ruined. My health and that of my wife and children has been shattered, and my family has suffered terribly from all the strain. I feel like that they haven't got anything against me other than my uh, occupancy of the rectory And so they're using that against me and forcing me out of the property. I found a situation that was allowed to fester for decades where the four parishes, only three were legally constituted. The treasurer and parochial school council were not legal entities. These admin and financial problems were all eventually sorted out, but this seemed to spark a wave of resentment from the community, which has culminated in my family and I living in a climate of fear in a supposedly rural idol. Mr. Sharp claimed that his tires were slashed on another occasion when I called the police. Within minutes of them leaving, I had someone at my door with clenched fists warning me of involving them. He said he had received anonymous letters asking him to keep his nose out when suggesting church land be used to provide low-cost housing for locals who could not afford to buy. And at the church fete, he suffered the indignity of locals deliberately turning their back on him in mass. His case, due to be heard next year, is being backed by his union. Uh, Rachel Maskell, union spokesman, uh, called the Archbishop of Canterbury to investigate the claim. She said, this is a toxic parish with a 40-year history of clergy leaving abruptly or in broken health. The bishops knew the history involved and failed to exercise their duty of care in the legal or moral aspects. They have failed both as employers and as Christians. 
A spokesman for the Church of England said that it would be wholly inappropriate to comment upon a case which is yet to be heard by the Employment Tribunal, but said that Mr. Sharp's allegations about a culture of neglect and bullying or otherwise are wholly denied. He said Mr. Sharp's resignation with effect from September 7th, and it, it was agreed that he would leave the rectory by the 31st of October. Since then, his license to remain at the property has been extended three times. He said he's been living in the property since his resignation and no enforcement proceedings have commenced. John chapter 15, verse 20. Jesus speaking. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. From the Christian Post, Chinese pastor sentenced to 15 years in prison. Chinese authorities have quietly sentenced um, Christian Alamajan Yimit, uh, in, to 15 years in prison on the apparently contrived charge of providing state secrets to overseas organizations, according to China Aid Association. Dateline Los Angeles. Chinese authorities have quietly sentenced uh, Christian Alamijan Yamit to 15 years in prison. The charge against the 36-year-old house church leader held for more than two years at uh, Cash Gar Detention Center in China's troubled Xinjiang region was apparently based on interviews he granted to media outside of China, according to his lawyer, Li Duyang. The 15-year sentence is far more severe than I originally expected, Li said to a CAA press statement released yesterday. Quote, it is the maximum penalty for this charge of, quote, divulging state secrets, which requires Alamujang's actions to be defined as having caused irreparable da uh, da uh, national grave damage. CAA President Bob Fu said Alamujang's sentence was the most severe for a house church leader in nearly a decade. The whole world should be appalled at this injustice against innocent Christian leader Alamujang, Fu said to the CAA, uh, to the CAA quote, we call upon the UN and people of conscience throughout the world to strongly protest to the Chinese government for this severe case of religious persecution. CAA reported that officials had read the verdict to Alamajan while he was incarcerated on October 27th. Lee confirmed to CAA that he had filed an appeal. Initially, the Bureau of State Security of Kashgar detained Alamajan on suspicions of harming national security on January 11, 2008, according to CAA. As such, charges are generally leveled against those considered to be an enemy of the state. Alamajan's family feared that he would be subjected to capital punishment. Local sources have said that Alamajan, a convert from Islam to Christianity in an area teeming with separatist tensions, loves and supports the Chinese government. As a loyal Chinese citizen and business entrepreneur, Alamajan has held to high standards of paying his taxes faithfully and avoiding a common local custom of paying bribes for business favors, Fu said in a previous CAA statement. He has also done his best to assimilate into Chinese culture, making the unusual decision to send his children to a Chinese-language school in a predominantly Ugar area. Friends of Alamajan have said he simply wanted the freedom to quietly express his faith.
a right guaranteed to him by the Chinese constitution, according to CAA. Not only is it illegal for him to own a Uyghur Bible, according to the advocacy organization, but he is also prohibited from attending services at the government-controlled uh, three-self-church uh, in the area because the Xinjiang constitution contradicts China's constitution. He is also prohibited from praying with foreign Christians. On February 20th, 2008, the initial charges against him were charges inciting secession and leaking state secrets. Court officials returned Alamajan's case to state prosecutors in May 2008, citing lack of, es- of evidence. Again, Jesus' words. Servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. We are up on our second break. When we come back, it'll be our sermon review time. Our sermon is a good sermon today. It's a sermon entitled Christ Alone by Matt Chandler. In light of the news that we're hearing that Matt's brain tumor is cancerous and malignant, I think it's appropriate to, during our sermon review, listen to this bold preacher of the gospel exegete the scriptures for us and preach the gospel to us. Because even though right now he doesn't have the ability to boldly proclaim the gospel to the masses. He's done a faithful job of doing that. And I would like to hear the gospel preached by Matt Chandler today. If you'd like to email me, you can. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter, my name there again, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of Rick Warren, you cannot be saved. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough! Of the sissy, frenzy, turning, photo-written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. The Christmas season is upon us. It's time for parties and gifts and all that kind of stuff. 
Do you have a Christmas party or potluck that you need to plan for? Or maybe you enjoy giving food gifts for Christmas. Either way, Pirate Christian Radio's featured holiday sponsor, the Wisconsin Cheese Man, has a huge variety of gourmet cheeses, sausages, cakes, and cookies. Oh, I'm getting hungry just thinking about it. Just for you. They have gifts such as their cheese and sausage combo pack or their cheese great gift basket or my personal favorite, the Big Nibbler. Whatever your holiday taste might be, the Wisconsin Cheese Man has exactly what you're looking for. So if you would like to purchase something from the Wisconsin Cheese Man, visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheese. Click on the banner provided there, and you will be taken to the promised land of gourmet cheeses. <laughs> and just remember, a portion of everything you purchase from the Wisconsin Cheese Man, after you've clicked on that link, goes to support Pirate Christian Radio. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheese today. of Fighting for the Faith. You know, in light of today's news, I, I think it's absolutely appropriate to give Matt the honor of preaching the gospel to us. The good, the bad, the ugly, we review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. And in light of today's news, as I go before the Lord, praying for Matt and his family, and for those at Village Church, the body of Jesus Christ that meets at those churches, I think it's absolutely appropriate that we hear the gospel today from Matt Chandler. And pray that the Lord would grant him a recovery and a long life to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ as he has already been doing. The sermon is a is entitled Christ Alone and I think it's fitting because even in the midst of his sojourn through the valley of the shadow of death Matt has been pointing to Christ the gospel and to his Lord and Savior and so with that I'm going to kill the music here we don't need the sappy music today anymore here is Matt Chandler of the Village Church, his sermon entitled, Christ Alone. How are we? We good? Hey, we're back in the Gospel of Luke today. We are. After, we'll do part 38 today. Um, so let's get, it really is part 38. Let's, so let's get started. Open up to Acts chapter 9. It's been a long time since we've been in Luke, so I need to set some things up. 
Um, I just I got a text message right before I walked up on stage um, that the Dallas vote was in. It was nearly unanimous, uh, and it was yes. So we will begin to. Yeah, it's very it's a very very cool deal, and so um, we we just kind of rejoice in what God's doing here. So um, and then hang on tight. So um, Jesus. Jesus does things so absolutely different than the rest of the first century discipleship rabbi model um, that it's hard to even call it the same except that he is repeatedly called rabbi and and has disciples. And so um, how how it would work in the first century is a an established rabbi who would have got there via um, education and then position and then even his teaching, which they called his yoke. So that makes sense when Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He, he's not so much making a farming reference uh, as he is going, my teaching is light. It's easy. It's, it's not burdensome. And so um, they basically you would apply uh, the best of the best coming out of training would apply to follow a certain rabbi and a rabbi wanting to push on his teachings would only take on the best of the best in regards to um, his disciples. Now, Jesus doesn't go about it that way at all. He actually shows up where some men are fishing with their father. They are learning the trade of their father. And, and we're going to find out over and over again, they're not the sharpest knives in the drawer. All right. They are not who you want to build a kingdom on. And, and in the end, they're not even kind of that group you want to go. These are my people. All right. And he comes to them. They're coming in from fishing and, um, they didn't catch anything. And so Jesus from the shore, 30 years old, yells out to fishermen who've been fishing their whole lives and, and goes, hey, just throw it on the other side of the boat. Like take the nets and just throw it on the right side of the boat and that's how you catch fish. Um, and so Peter mumbles some probably obscenities under his breath. I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us that, but it's Peter. And, and throws the net over. And then if you know the Bible, literally they pull in so many fish, it starts to sink the boat. It, it starts to sink the boat. And so Jesus then goes, okay, you, come on in. I've shown you who I am. Not really, but kind of. You guys are coming with me. You guys follow me. And, and so then he's got disciples, all right? Now, he, here's what that means. Let me define what that means. Um, what that means going forward is they do two things. They literally go where Jesus goes. So if Jesus is headed from this city to this city, they follow him. It wasn't just sit down, hear his teachings, all right, go home. No, they followed him. Where he went, they went. So they followed in the way of Jesus, and then they obeyed his commands. Even when his commands came off a little crazy. Okay? Which happens often. I'll give you, I'll give you one example. I could give you dozens. Um, Jesus says right before the triumphant entry, triumphal entry, um, head that way. You're going to come across the house. Outside the house is a colt tied up. Take the colt and bring it back here. As you take the colt, the owner of the colt is going to come out and go, Hey, why are you taking my colt? When he says that, just say the master has need of it. Now, depending on your aptitude, I'm going to need some more information than that. All right? But what do they do? They look at each other, shrug, 
and head that direction. Come across the house, colt tied up out front, untie the colt, start to walk away. Guy yells, hey, where you going my colt? The master has need of it. All right. And then they take the colt to Jesus. All right. So not only, now follow me here, not only do they follow in the way of Jesus, but they listen to the commands of Jesus. And this is what they're marked by. They are disciples, followers of, both literally and then in regards to his commands. This is what it meant to follow Jesus. Now, um, Jesus dies on the cross, all right, in that absorbs the wrath of God towards sinful men, uh, those who would repent and believe. And, and then he is resurrected on, on the third day. And then he is seen by uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people as resurrected. And I'm speaking historically, not, not just biblically. And then... Okay, notice here, you're, <clears throat> you're hearing the first synopsis, first mention of the gospel in the sermon. We're just a couple minutes in. And notice how he's defining follower of Jesus in a way. It's not the same as you're getting from the emergent guys or even from the the uh, the new pietists, uh, the seeker driven pietists. It's a, it's something different here. Now let's let's see what he does with this because uh, as the sermon develops, you're going to hear more and more gospel. Let's let's see what what's going on with this sermon with Matt. From there, he uh, he ascends into heaven, but uh, at the ascent. He says this. He gives the Great Commission. This is Matthew 28. He, he says, go, y- you go into all the nations and make what? Disciples. Now, I got it. Not converts. Not converts. Disciples. That is such an important point. Thank you for bringing that up, Matt. It's not enough just to get somebody to wave their hand in the air and say, I've made a decision for Jesus, as if that's how they get saved anyway. But go and make disciples. Okay. Which means, he says, to the disciples, those who follow him, in, in not only action, but also command, he says to those disciples, go and make other disciples. And just so they don't get confused and start to try to make converts, he actually defines it as he rounds out the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe or obey all that I've commanded you. So Now notice the obedience that he's talking about here is the obedience that comes from the gospel. Repent and believe in your and then the obedience of faith is what he's describing here. So that the goal was not to get more Christians rather, but more disciples. More men and women who lived the way of Jesus and obeyed the commands of Jesus, which doctrinally we're so passionate about because we believe that Jesus' life and teaching are about lining us up with how God designed the universe to be. So that the fullness of joy in any act, whether that is eating, drinking, sex, marriage, children, job, life, purpose, hobby, health, that all of that is rooted in and is experienced in its fullness in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, this thing starts off with a bang. Um, Peter gets up in Jerusalem and gives the most unseeker-friendly sermon in the history of the world. All right. He stands up and he says, this Jesus who you crucified. Okay. Um, 3000 men get saved. Now, what we find out by Acts chapter two is that those men who are saved devote themselves to two things. One another, the covenant community 
and to the teachings of the apostles, which were the teachings of Jesus Christ. So that early on in Acts, what you have is a group of men and women who are disciples of Jesus Christ and are following Jesus literally in how he lived his life, all right, in regards to the marginalized, the poor. See, the, the way we worked in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, specifically the first century, is that gods, pagan gods, were deities that needed to be appeased. And so what you would do is you would come to the temple and you would give an offering. All right, please make it rain on my crops. Please help my wife get pregnant, preferably with a son. Please give my... That's what you would do. And then you would leave. And then you just go back to your life. Well, that's not how... Um, Christianity was working itself out. Men and women were selling their possessions. It wasn't just go to the temple during harvest time. It wasn't just go to the temple to celebrate. It was get together daily, share, um, sell uh, your excess and give it to the poor. How do we apply these teachings? How do we, this is what started happening. In fact, they weren't even called Christians. They were called early on the way. That's what they were called. They were distinctively marked by how they lived their lives in relation to the rest of culture. Okay? Well, let me let me show you this. Let me show you this. I want to show you that it's not going to add here. Okay? They lived their lives very dis- contradistinctively to the culture, and this was the fruit of the of repentance and the forgiveness of sins, the fruit of the gospel. Let's continue. It's called the way. Um We'll go Acts chapter 9. We'll start in verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to what? The way. Okay? Not if he found any Christians there. Not if he found a group of people that believed in Jesus Christ. That's not what he says. If you find, if I find any belonging to the way capitalized, all right, and they're naming it the way that I might be able to arrest those there. Now, um, the, the modern term, it's not modern, it's in the Bible also. Christian, we see in the book of Acts in chapter 11. So let me show you this. Go over to Acts 11. We're going to pick it up in 26. Here's what it says. Uh, I'm going to, it starts in the middle of a sentence. I'm going to pick it up in the, the first whole sentence. It starts for a whole year they met. So I'm going to start reading there. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the who? The disciples, so the idea of following Jesus Christ is still at this point marked by actually following him and not just belief in him. Are you tracking with that? They're still called disciples. And now, what are they calling a group of disciples? Look, and in Antioch, the disciples were first called what? Christians, followers of Jesus. Now, here's what I contend I contend that Luke, the author of Acts uh, and, the go- and the Gospel of Luke, didn't care for the phrase. All right? Now, that's complete conjecture. All right? he- here's why I believe... Okay, now, i got to point something out here. He's, he's, he's made an assertion, and he's admitted it's conjecture. Now, for those of you who are uncomfortable with his preaching, going, well, Chris, why aren't you going, la, 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 la? 
reason why, okay, is he's preaching the gospel and sanctification together. It's very clear, if you listen very carefully, that what you know that he preaches what's right biblically. What does James say? You you show me that you know your faith by what you don't do, and I'll show you my faith by what I do. For just as the body is not that is not breathing is dead, so faith without works is dead. So in the sermon here, what he's done is he's braided justification and true sanctification uh, together in such a way that you really can't tease the two out and separate them into two categories. I don't have a problem with that per se. The reason why is because I know what's coming in the rest of the sermon as well. Uh, But keep in mind, okay, somebody who claims to be a Christian and there's no good works, um, we've got a problem. We've got a serious problem. And so the way Matt feels it's necessary to preach justification in this particular case, he's also preaching it in such a way that no way to squirm out of this and just turn this into some kind of mental theological gymnastics thing. I know the, quote, right things. He's preaching deeds and creeds. Very interesting. Let me continue. That he prefers the way to the word the Christian because he won't use it again. But he will continually refer to this faith as the way. Okay, let let me, you're looking at me going, you didn't go to seminary. I know that. I don't believe you. All right, let's go. Um, Acts 19. Acts 19. Acts 19, we're going to pick it up at 9. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil, evil of what? The way. There it is again. Before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him. So although in 11 he introduces Christian as what a group of disciples is called, just a few chapters later in discussing our faith, he once again calls it the way. Now look again in 23 of chapter 19. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning what? The way. Go to Acts 22. Just to beat this thing to death. Let's go. <laughs> Acts 22. We'll pick it up in four. I persecuted this what? Way. Capitalized. I persecuted the way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. Hey, I have always, I've always loved the testimony of Saul who becomes Paul. He's going to tell us later in the pastoral epistles in the book of Timothy that God saved him, rescued him, and called him into his service so that in the coming ages, all men might know the patience and mercy of God. So, like, maybe you've come in here today. (laughs) Ah, Great gospel. Thank you, Matt. And this is your first time back in a long time. Or maybe historically you've had some animosity towards God, maybe some animosity towards Christians because you've been a part of some things and you've done some things and you felt judged and you felt alienated and you felt maybe some shame or some fear. Um, Regardless of what's in your past, here's what I know. 
If I lay whatever you're guilty of next to whatever Paul's guilty of, Paul wins. I I don't know how else to say it. Paul wins. Now get this into your head. He just verbally confessed his guilt in the murder, the torture, and the binding of not just men, but women. And yet, God saves him the chief of sinners. Why? So that no one in this room could go, not me. That was free. That wasn't even, let's, go, let's keep going. All right. That was free. That's not even part. Let's go over to 24. 24, we're picking it up in 14. But this I confess to you, that according to, and we all said together, the way, which they call a sect. I don't need to finish it. Now, on the back, 22, Felix, the governor of Rome, does not call it Christianity, but calls it, look at 22, but Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of what? The way. Okay. So then... Being a Christian was not simply a verbal proclamation of Jesus' resurrection, but rather was a way of living that stood in contrast to popular culture and had at, at its roots a ferocious love, A, for the covenant community, and then B, for the poor and the marginalized. So that... Following Jesus looked that way. Now, um, I, I have contended here for almost seven years that one of my big fears for church folk in the Bible Belt is that they will consider themselves believers in Christ because they have made an external profession of faith but there has been zero transformation and there is zero desire in them at any level to actually follow Jesus. They went to RA camp, GA camp, youth camp. They saw a skit where um, somebody's in a car crash and they're all standing in front of God and then one of them gets drugged to hell and they scream back to their friend, Why did you tell me? And everybody's mortified. And then the invitation is, uh, Would you like to burn in hell forever? No, I would not like to burn in hell forever, please. Here's what that means. Now, repeat after me. Uh, dear God, dear God, I am a sinner. I am a sinner. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. I'll follow you. I'll follow you. Amen. Amen. Now, notice what he's describing here is a, quote, evangelism tactic that basically warns you of the fires of hell, but doesn't tell you anything anything about the good news of Christ dying for sins and just manipulates you emotionally into repeating a prayer. And what is he describing there in the Bible Belt down in Dallas? Is a bunch of people who had some kind of an experience like that where they rec they recited a prayer, or the sinner's prayer, and there's no fruit of repentance. There's no breathing in the body. Just as the body that is not breathing is dead, so faith without works is dead. That's what he's preaching against here. That's what he's really going after. So we continue. I get baptized. Boom, I'm in. 
All right. And that story has played itself out a billion times down here. And so you get what is nothing short of the historical hilarity, if it wasn't so tragic, of a bulk of men and women who say, yes, I'm a Christian, but don't in any way follow Christ. That's what you got by the bucket full down here. That's what you got. Yeah, I'm a Christian. Okay, so... What does that mean? Well, that means I go to church once a month. And so then you get, you really, I mean, think about it. There, there are even those in this room who go, yeah, I'm a Christian. I mean, my parents were Christians. I went to church. I went, but there is literally outside of your attendance here, nothing but you trying to be morally okay and morally good. Maybe. Maybe. So Jesus, here's the thing that makes Jesus so difficult. He's ruthless. I mean, when he, he comes after the heart in the most ruthless of ways. I mean, he comes after it. He, he will not settle for that. He's not, he's going to about as aggressively as possible try to destroy that idea throughout all four gospels. And, and so here's what, here's what we're beginning today in Luke. We're going to begin what will probably be two or three, maybe four weeks, depending on when my wife has the baby. Um, Literally, we have my phone on me. Bleaker, I gave my phone to Bleaker as he walked off stage. I was like, if it buzzes, let me know. We'll show the rest on video. Yeah, this was preached in May. So he has an infant child. Keep him in your prayers. Keep him and his wife and his children in your prayers. Video. Um, <laughs> we're gonna, what's the essence of and what's the nature of a disciple of Jesus Christ versus what might be an evangelical are they different are they the same are they so that takes us to our story in luke 18 so let's get to work we're going to pick it up in verse 9 i am skipping the first eight verses um the story of the persistent widow is actually a story about eschatology or end times and, and so when we get to Luke 21, for those of you who know your Bible real well, uh, Luke 21's gonna pull us into some eschatology discussions or end times discussions, and then we'll, um, we'll come back and read one through eight in our conclusion of that text. So, I'm gonna do that whole chapter 21 on the back of a white horse. <laughs> That's not true. I would be mortified. Um, I, I'm urban. So I don't do horses. Let's go nine. I think they're very pretty, though. Um, He also told this parable. Now, listen, this is such a little nuance, but it's so good. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Here's why I like this. He didn't pull aside the good people and and say, like, here's, here's what I mean by Jesus being ruthless. He's no coward. Like he didn't just pull the people who didn't do this off to the side and go, beware of guys like that. He like goes, hey, you guys. I mean, it's just a little nuance here, but it's very important. He talks to them, not about them. Right? Okay, let's look at this. Two men went into the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee. So if you're a guest with us, not a lot of church background. A Pharisee is one of the ruling religious party members. He is very educated, specifically in the Torah. All right, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He also is an expert in the law. Okay, so this is a very religious man, a leader in the Jewish community, um, and 
Anyway, that's who that is. And the other, a tax collector. Now, uh, tax collectors get a weird break because of Zacchaeus, uh, the song, The Wee Little Man. Tax collectors were a wicked, 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 wicked bunch of men who should be burned alive. Um, they were men who purchased the right from Rome, all right, to raise taxes for Rome to support a suppressing army that was responsible for the murder and rape of hundreds of thousands of men and women. All right? Um, they, they betrayed their own countrymen. They betrayed their own neighbors. They were worthless pieces of human. All right? Now, they're both in the temple praying. Now, let's pick up the Pharisees' prayer first. Now, I, I'll say just right out of the gate, I think the Pharisee gets a bad rap here. I think everybody knows that the Pharisees are the bad guys. If you've got any background in church, you're like, oh, those Pharisees. And, and so we read this prayer unfairly. I'm telling you, there is nothing wrong with this man's prayer. Nothing. In fact, it's almost model in its, in its implications. There's nothing wrong with this man's prayer. It is completely theocentric, God-centered, all right? And we won't find out what the problem is until later on in the text. So let's go. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed this. God, I thank who? You. God, I thank you. Not, God, I thank me. Not, God, I did a good job here. Not, God, this is a theocentric prayer. The onus, the credit, the all of it is being put on God. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Now don't get all high on me because everybody does this. This is all he did. Thank you, God, that you saved me from the progression of my life into wickedness. You saved me from that. So either through good parents or through a church that was uh, able to engage or through, for whatever reason, God in his grace saved the Pharisee from becoming what he could have become without the grace of God. Notice that... Uh... Pharisees praying, thank you, Lord, for my changed life then. That's how uh, Matt's kind of taken his attack on this prayer. Uh, the Pharisee definitely had a, quote, changed life, didn't he? But it's not the gospel. Let's continue. That is not a bad prayer. It is not a bad thing to have a lustful heart, to submit that heart to God, ask God to heal it, and then praise God that you don't end up an adulterer. That's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. He's saying, thank you, God. Thank you. Not thank me. Thank you that I don't hoard my money and make it mine. Thank you, God, that I've been faithful to my wife. Thank you, God, that I have. This is not a bad prayer. I like this guy. He takes his holiness seriously. I like him. Right? And he's very, he's very morally upright. He probably wouldn't like me. I like him. I don't know that you want to hang out with me, but I would I'd be like, let's hang out. Very, very morally. Now, look at where it goes next, because not only is he morally upright, he's very religious. Look at what happens here. I thank you that I'm not like these other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I will say this, because it does sound a little bit shady, like in the middle of his verbal prayer, he's like, or like that guy. Okay, so let me speak to that. 
you might not have verbally done that, but you verbally thought it. Verbally thought it? You've thought it. Um, everyone in here has been in a scene where you've seen something played out and you are grateful that that's not where you are, that you're here. All right. Um, uh, one story from several years ago. We were at a dinner party. Um, a wife um, tore into her husband publicly. Um, I mean, was just kind of rude and attacking to her husband publicly. And, um, it, and I just remember thinking, God, I love my wife. <laughs> like, I just remember watching that woman tear into that man in front of everybody, make it awkward for everyone, and just thought, date night this week, Sizzler. We're going big. We're going... <laughs> Sizzler doesn't exist anymore, but back in my day, it was awesome. Um, yeah, I've been there. I've been there before. I've been there where, I mean, everybody's kind of got that place where we've seen somebody's life blow up on them, and then there's gratitude. Listen, he's not saying, oh, I'm better than this guy. That's not what he's doing here. Don't read it like that because that's not how, it's, how it rolls out. He's thanking God that God protected him from becoming these things. This is not a bad prayer. I know my bloodline. I know Chandler men. I know what my bloodline's been for the last hundred years. I can trace it back. We got guys. You know, I got to give him props. I have never heard a sermon where somebody basically comes to the rescue and, and defends the Pharisee in this parable. Interesting. Brave. I can't wait to see what he does with this. I was getting hung for robbing trains, and that was one of the moral highlights. Got a lot of alcoholism and a lot of violent, violent abuse. And I thank God, all right, that that's going into the ground with me. That my son does not know that. My daughter does not know that. Little Nora, when she gets here, is not going to know that. They'll know it as story. They won't live in it. I thank God for that. So you wouldn't right now go, oh, you arrogant. So don't do that to the Pharisee because he's not praying anything wrong. Okay, look at what happens next. Twelve. He's also very religious. I fast twice a week and I give tithes on all I get. Now, I love... <laughs> he goes big here with the religion. And what I mean by that is he doesn't, he doesn't throw out the ones that we all do. He throws out the ones that we don't want to do. So he doesn't say, I go to the synagogue every time the doors are open. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, uh, I don't watch rated R movies that aren't about the crucifixion of Christ. <laughs> I don't. That's not what he does. He goes straight big. He says, I fast huh, twice a week. No, I fast twice a week. Like, here's, okay, do you know that Jesus, um, his ask one time, why don't your disciples fast? And Jesus goes, because I'm here. Now, I, I'm going to, <laughs> I'm going to ascend, and when I ascend, between the time I ascend and the time I return, they will fast for my return. In the end, he's commanding his people to fast for his return, but I'm guessing you haven't heard that sermon. The fasting is just a wildly unpopular idea. Don't eat because there's something better than food. That's not a popular idea. All right? And, and so not only does he use fast, but then he also uses tithing. And this cat not only tithes, he tithes on everything. 
That's what it just said. So he doesn't just tithe. He doesn't just give his 10%. But then, like, I'll give you an example of how this would have worked in the first century. A farmer would tithe on his crops. And then the Pharisee, this Pharisee, would buy some of the crops from him for his food. And then he would take 10% of the food that the farmer tithed on. And then he would tithe it also. He tithes on everything. So, like, it worked. Like, if I could bring it into 09. Like, he didn't just tithe on what he made. But then when his income tax return came in, he tithed on that, even though he tithed on the tax to begin with. Not making a statement here. I'm just giving an example. All right, everybody calm down. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just pointing out what this guy did. Okay? So not only does he fast twice a week, but he tithes on everything. In fact, one time he let him borrow five bucks and he put 50 cents of it in a tray. I, I like him. Not because he tithes. You guys are bad. No, I, I like he's ferocious about God. All right, serious about his holiness and serious about his pursuit of God and obedience to the law. In fact, he's overzealous when it comes to the law because he was only required by the law to fast once a week. But he was like, uh-uh, I'll go twice. All right, this is a guy who would lead a home group. This is a guy who would teach a Sunday school class. This is a guy, I mean, God help us money and be on staff somewhere. I, I have found nothing in this prayer that makes me not like him. I would, I'd ask him to disciple me. I'd go, hey, man. Um, every, you tithe on everything? <laughs> Help me with that. Help me understand that. Yeah. And, and then that's the end of his prayer. That's the end of his prayer. And then we get into the tax collector's prayer, which is monumentally shorter. Here's what he says. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast, saying, God... Be merciful to me, a sinner. That's it. Now, the Pharisee surely doesn't think he's perfect. And, and the tax collector, surely he's got something that he hasn't done. I mean, he's at the temple, for goodness sakes. So the tax collector should be able to go, I thank you, God, that I'm not a murderer. I thank you, God, that I'm not. It. Surely you could think of something. There's nothing religious and there's nothing moral at all mentioned in the tax collector's prayer. He simply screams out in a flood of his own tears while he hits himself, be merciful to me. Now, the tax collector, my heart hurts for him. He's about as broken as you can get. Like, here's one of the things I've learned about just being a pastor for as long as I've been now. Um, they're like stages of brokenness. And like the middle stage is that stage where you, you really are figuring out that your sin is blowing up your life, blowing up your relationships, blowing up your soul. And then usually what ends up happening is people in that, they just start getting angry at other people and at God. Like they'll find someone else to blame as to why their soul, why their sins caught. So they're like, oh, my wife or oh, my husband or all oh, those children, all oh, the workplace. Oh, God, if God wouldn't have given me these desires, I would have never. And they, they, there's that middle ground there where they're just they're starting to feel that sin's blowing them up. But they love to find other reasons and other people to blame. And this cat's already beyond all of that. And he's swimming in his own tears. Be merciful to me. Be merciful to me. That's all he says. Now, the next sentence is just about as terrifying as the sentences you'll find in the Bible. But if God would have just put a period instead of a comma in the middle of this sentence, it would be a really warm and fuzzy text. Like, like let's look at this. 14. I tell you, this man, the tax collector, went down to his house 
justified. Justified um, is a word that means right standing. So that the tax collector now has right standing before God. God has no wrath for him. He is right, he is in right standing before the God. Now, if in this text there was a period right there, we could all hold hands right now and have Bleeker come out. We do kumbaya and we can leave here going, yay, the tax collector can be saved. But there's not a period, there's a comma. And that comma is going to create quite a storm for us. All right, let's look at it. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, here it comes, four words, rather than the other, which means the tax collector has right standing before God. The Pharisee does not. Notice he is doing, (laughs) he's exegeting the scriptures. This is, and he's calling sin, sin. And now he's told the story in much the same way that Jesus told the story in such a way that we are forced now to deal with this dilemma and go, what? The Pharisee was doing everything right. The tax collector didn't do anything right. He was a scumbag. And the only thing he said is, Lord, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. And he goes away with the right standing before God, but the Pharisee doesn't? What? So far, masterfully done. Let me finish the text, and then I've got just a little bit of time here to unpack this. The one who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Let me tell you the problem with the text, the problem with the Pharisee's prayer. Um, When I was in sixth grade, my mom was going to this church that um, we were a divided family. My dad wanted nothing to do with church and nothing to do with the gospel, nothing, really had a lot of animosity towards it. And then my mom was a preacher's kid whose great rebellion was my dad, all right? Um, So then you get me, all right? Rebellious preacher. Anyway, it's a weird, it's a weird deal. Now, um... My mom had started this training called uh, EE, or Evangelism Explosion. Have you heard of it? It was a great tool for its day. Um, it, and and what they, they were just teaching how to share your faith. And so um, I would, when my mom got dressed in the morning, uh, I would come read her the questions and she would answer it. And and so I was sixth grade. You know how fast it, a sixth grade boy gets dressed? I just put on whatever's there, spray some Jakar on. I'm ready to go, all right? And so I, I would sit there. And read the questions. And here, here was the first question. You were to go up to somebody's house and knock on the door. They would, you know, open the door. Uh, can I help you? And you would go, if, hi, my name is Matt. If you were to die today, which really, you want to lead with that? I, I might shoot you. All right. I'd be like, if you were to die today. Oh, no, I ain't dying today. I mean, somebody might die today. It ain't me. All right. Anyway, if you were to die today and God were to ask you, why should I let you in to heaven? What would you say? All right. That was the, that was the, the question. Okay. Now let's take that question. That's not in revelation. I don't think that's going to happen, but um, let's pretend that on the way home, the Pharisee and the tax collector are walking home, rogue chariot gets away from the guy at the helm and runs over both of them. 
Kills both of them. All right? They're both in front of God, day of judgment. Um, the Pharisee walks in and God says, I killed you today. Now, why should I let you into my heaven? The response of the Pharisee is, God, you should let me into your heaven because I was not a reviler. I was not a scoundrel. I was not a thief. I was not an adulterer. I was not a liar. And I tithed and I fasted twice a week. In fact, not only did I tithe, not only did I give what you ask, but I went beyond what you ask and tithed even beyond what you ask. And I fasted beyond what you ask. And you should let me into your heaven because I've done this and this and this and this and this. And not only have I been obedient to your law, but I've gone beyond your law and that's why you should let me into your heaven the problem with the Pharisee's prayer was not that he gave credit for his spiritual growth but that he thought his spiritual growth justified him that he thought that his acts of growth justified him before God brilliant point yep this is so good. The Bible tells us he's not justified. So God goes, uh-uh. Now, the tax collector has to be drug in because there's no way he's walking in there. He didn't even go all the way into the temple. He was in the outskirts where the Gentiles were while he cried out in his prayer. So he definitely isn't coming into the throne room of God. So some angels drag him. They probably don't have to drag. They probably just, bam, all right, throw you down. <laughs> tax collector's on his face, sobbing, all right? God goes, okay, why should I let you in? He says nothing but... Um, I plead the blood of Christ. I plead the blood of Christ. I plead the blood of Christ. You shouldn't let me in. All I have, all my only hope, the only way I'm getting in is that in your mercy, through the cross of Christ, you will look past my sins and adopt me as your son. It's the only way I get in. Through you alone, by no act of morality, by no act of religion, will I get through. It'll be by your mercy through Christ alone. Oh, amen. We need, no, we need more pastors like this. Not less, more. And the Bible says God goes justified come in see jesus is going to constantly hound on this idea that your external religious actions somehow save you like um in matthew 21 i believe it's verse 31 he tells the pharisees this is why he gets killed man he he tells the pharisees surely the hookers and the tax collectors will see the kingdom of god before you will Surely they'll see the kingdom of God before you will. They'll enter it before you will. The mantra of and the hope of the follower of Jesus Christ is in one thing. Christ alone. Christ alone. Christ alone. Christ alone. Christ alone. And, and here's what happens. Here's what happens. Here's how we get confused. Um, we come to know the Lord, and most of us come in with baggage. 
All right? I don't know anybody who came in without baggage. You'll come in with pagan baggage or church baggage, but everybody's bringing bags with them. All right? And, and then what ends up happening is as you start to get freedom from those things, you'll start to rejoice in the freedom from those things. That's not a bad thing. All right? And, and then all of a sudden, you'll, you'll start to walk upright. You'll start to, I mean, things will start to, you'll begin to pursue your holiness. You'll begin, and before you know it, um, Christ isn't in the picture along, at, at all anymore. There's a lot of happiness. There's a lot of yay. But, but that's all, almost all built around your little spiritual victories, even if you're giving God the credit for being the author of those spiritual victories. And somewhere in the middle of all of that, that cloud gets very confusing. And we begin to exalt ourselves, even if we don't do it with our mouths, we do it with our lives. And then we look at others with contempt. If you've ever seen on television or in Christians berate or attack someone else, what's happened is they've become confused at who is the author and the perfecter of their faith. It's not them. It's Christ alone. And this is the fuel of worship. Christ alone. I have nothing to boast in. And in fact, the the writer of Hebrews would say it like this. If righteousness could be obtained through the law, Christ died for nothing. I read a sermon by George Whitfield a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Whitfield was brilliant. He was definitely a flawed man. Um, on racial reconciliation might have been he was a very ignorant man in that area of his life but brilliant teacher um, preaching back then was very stoic and dry and he called them velvet mouthed preachers like if you had velvet in your mouth you couldn't swallow real well you know and he was just like i will not be a velvet mouthed preacher and so he was like they they would say he was acting sometimes you know he he was just very uh animated very i think would do flips off the stage i don't know if he'd do flips off the stage but um <laughs> And and one of the things Whitfield says, he made this plea one time for men who were looking for power and position in church and their own self-righteous motives were behind that. He says, why you would exchange the church temporary for the church triumphant is madness to me. He, he couldn't figure out why you would want to be looked at as a godly man if in the end you weren't. So he would just in essence say, who cares if everyone looks at you and goes, oh, I like that guy. Who cares if everyone looks at you and goes, that guy knows his stuff. Who cares if, if you don't understand the rudimentary positions of our faith, which is all that you have is by the grace of God alone, including your salvation. So, oh, man, this is really, really profound and good because it's all about Christ. From beginning to end, this is just, oh, man. So anytime I preach that, I'll get an email. I know you, you don't have to email it. I'm going to go ahead and say it to you. That way you don't have to email it to me. I always get that, Chandler, you preach grace like that. You're going to get a lot of people trying to abuse that. Absolutely, we will. Absolutely. But there's this great story um, where Jesus is walking and, and um, um, Peter's behind him. And, he, and Peter keeps asking about John. Like He's like, what's going to happen with John? What's going to happen with John? Hey, what's going on with John? Hey, is John going to live to be? Hey, what about John? And Jesus finally turns around and goes, what is he to you? Look, you're going to deny me like three more times and then get crucified upside down. I'd worry about your own junk, bro. If I want John to live till I return, then that's what's going to happen. And turns around and just leaves Peter there again. (laughs) Um, Here's what I would tell you. Romans 6 says, shall we sin all the more so that grace may abound? And then the tagline is, may it never be. Um, if you got into the Greek there, what he's really saying is, that can't happen. 
which means men who are sinning all the more so that grace may abound are actually not believers at all, regardless of what their verbal profession is. They're not Christians. Yeah. They don't follow the way. So maybe you're in here today and maybe all that you are is built on your own self-righteousness, your own self-exaltation, your own... Maybe you love the fact that you used to be this and now you're this. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with loving where God's brought you. There just has to be a constant understanding that it's Christ alone, Christ alone, Christ alone. Or maybe you're here and maybe you've come in more like the tax collector. The good news is regardless of what you're guilty of, it's one act of faith in the grace of Jesus Christ on the cross that pays for it all once and for all. And that's why, you know, it used to be so confusing to me, like why Christians would sing all the time and do the things they did. and Because I thought it was all about sex and beer. You know, I was like, they don't drink beer, they don't have sex. And so then I'd come to church and everybody would be like, yes, Lord. And I was like, these are really weird people. <laughs> but they're not celebrating because the truth is, biblically, you could have a beer and biblically you, you, you can't have. In fact, sex was God's idea. He created the thing. But in following Jesus, in lining ourselves up with how he created the universe to be and for the grace of God to cover all of our sins creates in us a desire to worship him. So what does a follower of Jesus Christ look like? Well, if they're healthy, their mantra, their energy, their fuel, their passion is Christ alone. Let's pray. Um, I know the times in which we live, so I know that as soon as you walk out of here, life will just take back over. And you'll begin to run and begin to do and begin to either work tasks or do nothing. And so I want to give you just a second here to maybe search your own heart a little bit. Is there in you self-righteousness, self-exaltation? Like the scriptures warn you that you should not think more highly of yourself than you ought to. For the Now notice what he's doing here is he's having people examine themselves to see if they are guilty of this sin of self-righteousness and self-exaltation. Okay? He's already preached Christ and him crucified. Let's see how he ends this thing. See if he brings that back up as the solution to that self-righteousness. Let's see what he does. Believer, that, that's around everything. Our own spirituality, our own sanctification, our own. And then for those of you who aren't believers, this is the Bible's way of kind of engaging you on where you, what you're basing your own righteousness on. And, and I'll ask even a more pointed question. If the biblical understanding of Christianity is that you are followers of Jesus Christ, are you? I'm not asking you what you believe 
or what you'll say with your mouth, if the biblical understanding of what it means to be a Christian is that we follow Jesus, obey His commands, and with our lives pursue, are you? Okay, in all honesty, everybody examining their lives in light of that question will have to say, I sin, so no. That's a weakness here in the sermon, okay? Because obedience is one of those things that we don't get to check off the list. It's a constant thing we must do, and we all daily fall short. So we need the forgiveness of sins here. And I know that's a hard question. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll be dismissed. Um, Here's what I would ask, that you leave this place quietly and leave it for men and women who might want to stay and pray a little bit, think a little bit more. Um, There'll be some men and women who come up to the front. There'll be some of our pastors and some of our elders and some of our um, men and women here at the church if you want someone to pray with or someone to talk with. Um, My hope is that you would um, chew on these things and think on these things and reflect on these things. now, at, this, at the risk of sounding insensitive, and I don't want you to think that's what I'm doing. I'm trying to be insensitive at all. This is a general weakness in American evangelicalism here. He has brilliantly preached the law, and he's brilliantly preached the gospel. The weakness here is at the end and really pushing it home for the people listening. Because he has just literally set off the atomic bomb of the law and just leveled everybody. Me, you, himself, everybody there at that church. I mean, this is sobering what he's done here. And it's powerful because it's it's he's really correctly exegeted God's word. Now, the thing that would make this just that much more powerful, and you evangelical pastors out there hear me, and I challenge you, to do this you've called the sin what it is proclaim the forgiveness of that sin don't let people leave just having to reflect on their sin instead let the last word be the cross and let them leave reflecting on the mercy of Christ That that's the only weakness I'm really seeing here in is in how this ultimately is landing. But Matt has brilliantly preached the gospel to us in a way that just cuts to the heart. Again, we need more pastors like Matt, not less. And so my heart breaks at the thought of what it is that, that he's going through and at the loss to the greater body of Christ not just village church, but to the greater body of Christ that right now he is not able to preach and it's up in the air as to what's going to happen to him in the future. My prayer is for a miraculous healing at this point. We need we need Matt to preach the gospel. And that you might be able to, um, as the scriptures command us, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Father, I thank you for today. 
love you. We need you. Um, Help us. These things can get muddy in our hearts. They can get confusing. It's hard to spot self-righteousness sometimes. Sometimes it just looks like normative church going. And so convict us where we've exalted things that shouldn't be exalted. Um, Reveal to us where we glory in what you've made of us rather than you. Help my prayers that we might go home justified. It's for your beautiful name. Amen. I love you more than you know. You're dismissed. Amen. So that was Matt Chandler from the Village Church. The name of the sermon was Christ Alone, preached on May 17th of this year on the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. I mean, it's it's a good, good sermon. And my heart goes out. My prayers go up to our Lord Jesus Christ on behalf of Matt Chandler, his wife, and his children, and for the people of Village Church. Sadly, folks, we're at the end of another edition of Fighting for the Faith, and I need to remind you that uh, we have to be able to pay our bills in order to continue bringing this radio outreach to you. If you are growing as a result of the proclamation of the forgiveness of sins, the gospel, sound biblical doctrine, and biblical discernment that we do here day after day here at Fighting for the Faith, uh, then please financially support us so that we can continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and continue to serve you in this way. You can support us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. And right now, we we still need about 700 more people to join our Fighting for the Faith Pirate Christian Radio crew. The way you join is by clicking on the Join Our Crew button. It is a mere $6.95 a month. And uh, the reason why we chose six ninety five is because it makes it possible for people of really all kinds of different uh, financial uh, s- statuses, so to speak, to uh, to be able to contribute to the uh, long, the ongoing longe- longevity of this program. Click on uh, the Join Our Crew button, and when you're done, when as soon as your membership is processed, click on the uh, the, the button that says uh, Pirate Cove Access Information, so that you can uh, join, uh, so that you can get access to our Pirate Christian Radio Cove. And, of course, if you'd like to uh, donate above and beyond that, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and sending it to uh, Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. So what would you think? Would love to get your feedback. You can email me at talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. That's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there again is Pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross even for your sins. Amen. Amen.